Blog Talk Radio. Do you watch Fox News all day? Are you dizzy from conservative spin? Are you a birther or teabagger? You might be suffering from a condition called barachnophobia. If so, the only cure is Liberal Dan Radio. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Warning, Liberal Dan Radio is not a substitute for doctor's advice. Severe cases of barachnophobia may require psychiatric help. This may prove expensive if Republicans repeal health care. Listening to Liberal Dan Radio may cause you to embrace things like facts, logic, and reason. If these symptoms last for more than four hours, you have been cured. For more information, go to liberaldan.com. back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. Or you can always join us in the chat room and leave your comments, questions there. Or you can hit Skype from the chat room page and call in that way. Or if you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your questions, comments, concerns, etc., on the show thread at liberaldan.com. I'll be talking about a lot of different things, uh, legalization of marijuana, uh, because it is 420, and I'll also be talking about uh, the election, the 2016 elections, which will be a topic on many of shows through November. Uh, But first, I would like to, uh, as always, have this week's headlines. Passover is coming this weekend. Jews around the world are preparing to get rid of their chametz or in other words, food that is not kosher for Passover, by selling it off to non-Jews. It's kind of like a baseball team trading for a player to be named later, and that player winds up being himself. I wonder if a woman in the family, if a woman in the family has a yeast infection, does she have to be sold off with the rest of the chametz? Donald Trump managed to get the date of 9-11 wrong in his speech, talking about all first responders being at 7-11 instead. Maybe he will pick Sarah Palin uh, to be on his ticket if he wins, and they could together work at 1400 Pennsylvania Avenue. AMC Theaters had discussed that it will allow millennials to use their cell phones in their movie theaters. Huge backlash happened on social media, causing AMC to go back on that idea. I think I would have been watching movies elsewhere. Uh, one person with a cell phone in front of me was enough. I don't need it. How fearful of millennial hipsters who can't get off their phones for two seconds. In entertainment news, Rose, Leslie, and Kid Harrington are now officially dating. Apparently, Jon Snow did know something. The Treasury has announced that it will officially be replacing Andrew Jackson with Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. The Underground Railroad might not be something you can see, but now you'll be able to see her and not the guy responsible for the Trail of Tears. It's all the racists out there who are complaining about the addition of a black person to the bills and taking away a white person. I'll just say, you, you can send in, I'll, you can email me and I'll send you the address. You can feel free to mail me every single $20 bill that you get that you don't want to have. I'd be more than happy to spend it for you. And finally, it is George Takei's birthday. Oh my. And that was this week's headlines. Now, 
before I get into the whole politics and uh, issue of the presidential election and what happened in New York yesterday and some of the silliness that is going on um, with the campaigns, I do want to, you know, touch on the fact that, again, it is 420, uh, the day that is pitched to be uh, everyone's favorite marijuana day, although I would probably assume that anybody who is out there who is an avid smoker of marijuana would think any day is a good day that you have to smoke weed. Um, I do not partake myself. Um, I do not disparage those others who wish to. And I, I do have a post from a friend, Matthew, Matthew Lister, one of my Facebook friends. Um, here's his post on the issue when I told him I would have to steal it. Marijuana, legalize it already. I do not smoke marijuana. I do not use marijuana or its extracts for anything. I do not use any illegal drugs at all. But I am all for legalizing marijuana, and here is why. When Colorado legalized marijuana in the first more four months alone, $10 million in tax money was generated. That is at least, at the least, $30 million a year in tax revenue. According to the Uniform Crime Reporting data for Denver alone, there was a 10.1% decrease in overall crime from a year earlier and a 5.2 drop in violent crimes in just the first four months of legalization. 12 to $40 million is saved a year by the state for not arresting those with marijuana offenses, a lot more saved by not housing inmates for such offenses for 10 years plus. Their housing market has increased, their job market has increased, and everything seems to be getting better there, not to mention the medicinal uses. It's been proven that marijuana extracted oils injected into cancer cells will shrink the cancer cells and not allow the cancer to spread. Imagine how many lives could be saved if we legalized it and studied further medicinal uses. So to conclude, just legalize it already. Now, I agree with pretty much everything he says. I mean, I don't have the facts in front of me to show that marijuana um, extracted oils can shrink cancer cells. If it can, wonderful. It's just another use. I mean, uh, it has been used to help glaucoma patients. It has been used in uh, AIDS patients, uh, people who have lost their appetite. It helps them to actually eat, uh, get, them, get them an appetite again. So it has lots of medicinal uses. And, and I don't understand the people that refuse to see the difference in legalizing it for medicinal purposes and legalizing it altogether. Even if you would object to recreational use of marijuana, why should a doctor be able to prescribe Oxycontin, but not marijuana. It doesn't make any sense to me. That being said, you know, alcohol is legal. We tried prohibition of alcohol. Alcohol, it was proven to not work. Um, there are laws in the books preventing people from drinking and driving. So to help people uh, avoid public safety issues, uh, we, make, we still make it illegal to drive while under the influence of alcohol, even though it's legal to ingest it. We can do the same thing with marijuana, make it illegal uh, to drive while intoxicated by any sort of substance. Meanwhile, allowing people to use a drug that doesn't harm anybody. Um, you might, some might argue it might harm themselves, but it doesn't harm anybody else. And you save, again, not only are you gaining tax revenue, but you're also saving, you know, all that money that you're no longer using to house uh, people. Now, unfortunately, one of the things that we have to deal with here is that because we have a lot of states, a lot of areas that have moved to privatize prisons, that these prisons 
don't want to see decriminalization or, le- or, or legalization of anything that is currently illegal because that makes them less likely to be able to get revenue. And that's their lifeblood, is making sure that there are prisoners that they can imprison or that they can hold for the government while the government orders an imprisonment of that person. So I... So, so you, you will have people fighting this who are part of a corrupt process. Um, and I really can't, you know, say anything other than that if we listen to those people on this issue, that it, that it, we're really going down a very dangerous place. We already have gone to a very dangerous place. We shouldn't be allowing uh, people to lobby in Louisiana, let's let's take for example, in Louisiana, it is illegal for gambling interests, or gaming interests, whatever you want to call it. Sadly enough, for people who don't live in Louisiana who might be listening to my podcast, there is a difference between gambling and gaming in Louisiana. Gambling is technically still illegal in Louisiana. However, gaming is okay. And gaming includes things like poker, blackjack, slot machines. You figure that one out. But people who have legal gaming interests are prohibited from making campaign contributions. Or, probably more correctly, people who are running for office are prohibited from receiving campaign contributions from people with gambling interests. Uh, with a more than, a, more than a, just a basic investment in gambling interest in the state. So we should do the same thing for people who have interests in prisons. If you make money running a prison, you should not be able to advocate for who you get to, who gets to come into your prison. That's just ridiculous. So anyway, that's my thoughts on you know, marijuana for today. You know, we 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 would save a lot of money in this country if we stopped putting people away. We would stop giving people bad records for putting them away for this and other nonviolent crimes. Um, and and if we legalize drugs, you know, if people are addicted to them, it'd be a lot easier to help wean them off. If we weren't hamstrung in not being able to wean them off the actual drug itself. Whereas if, if, they were, if the drugs were legal and someone wanted to get off the drugs, then we could, you know, give them, you know, smaller and smaller doses over, over a period of time to help wean the person off the drugs. And some people need that sort of weaning off to get, to get off the drugs. Some people can quit cold turkey. Good for them. It's not everybody. And we can expect the same solution to work on everybody. Okay, so let's go ahead, take the first commercial break, uh, taking your calls as well. Area code 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. This is Liberal Land Radio. Talk from the left. That's right.
Are you planning a trip to Disney soon? Do you want help avoiding spending mistakes and making the most of your vacation? Then check out BudgetEars.com, a new site devoted to helping you get the most mouse for your money. What kinds of tickets should you get? Is the dining plan a good deal for you? Should you stay on grounds or not? Should you buy park hoppers? Many other sites are filled with information about what other people like to do. But Budget Ears is geared to help you make the best decision for you. So check out BudgetEars.com or go to YouTube.com slash BudgetEars and help make your trip the best it can be. BudgetEars.com is not a travel agency and it is not affiliated with the Disney Corporation or any of its holdings. I am sick and tired of the propaganda in today's media. You know, we can't have a sane discussion about politics. Well, yes, you can, and it's on ROJS Radio Live with the girls, Monica RW, and Autumn F. I'm there every week when they discuss Michigan and national politics, job search, unemployment, and more from an independent laugh, sanity-based point of view. So, tune in. ROJS Radio Live, Saturdays and Sundays at 11 a.m. sharp here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk to the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming at you from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. You can also, again, come to the chat room, leave your comments, questions, and concerns there. Or you can Skype in from the link given in the chat room area on the Blog Talk Radio page. Or... If you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your comments, questions, concerns, etc. over at liberaldan.com on the show thread. Uh, was just discussing uh, 420, uh, legalizing marijuana. Um, you know, we also discussed uh, Harriet Tubman being placed on the $20 bill. Now, when I had the opportunity to vote, when people had the opportunity to give their opinion as to who they thought should be on the well, I think they initially said on the 10, but more people were advocating for the 20. Um, I believe, you know, there are a lot of people, I have no problem with Harriet Tubman being on the on the 20. It's fine. Um, I, I think my my sort of hero, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, uh, was Rosa Parks. I think, I think Rosa Parks, um, I, I'm just, her standing up, and even though it was a small thing, having such a big impact, to me, that 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 said a lot. And that was, that was one person, a small person, having a big impact. And for some reason, that, you know, that causes, you know, that, that gained my, you know, labeling her as somebody who is, you know, somebody who is a personal hero of mine, I guess. I don't know, hard, hard way, but I don't want to say that you know, Harriet Tubman, that there's nothing obviously wrong about what Harriet Tubman did. And obviously, she should be uh, looked upon as for the historical impact that she had and uh, what she did with the Underground Railroad. And they, you know, I just, for some reason, Rosa Parks is, is just somebody who is a personal hero of mine. And, and I don't know if it's rational or not, but. Um, but here's the, the tweet of the week is from uh, at Nerdy Negress. That's N-E-G-R-E-S-S. Um, and she says, Humph, 
Will the new $20 bill be worth less now that a woman is on it? $15.40 instead of $20? Hashtag Harriet Tubman. Very smart. <laughs> Very smart tweet. I loved it. <coughs> so I retweeted it. And there you go. That's the tweet of the week. It gave me a it gave me a good chuckle. If you can give me a good chuckle, uh, if you're give me the biggest chuckle of the week, I guess, that uh, you would you you put yourself in the running for getting the tweet of the week. So there you have it. There's the tweet of the week. So presidential election. Let's I guess start off by talking about uh, the Republicans. Because they don't really have that much to say about, you know, the Republican primary. Um, nobody is surprised that Donald Trump won. Um, what was interesting is just the margin that he won by. You know, he didn't get that much of a higher percentage than Hillary. Hillary got much more votes than Trump, but Trump got a little bit higher of a percentage than Hillary, but of course Hillary's only going after going against one other person. Um, and Trump's going up against two, and he still managed to get 60.4% of the vote compared to John Kasich's 25.1% of the vote, with 99% of the precincts reporting, um, and with one delegate remaining to be awarded from the state. So, I mean, he won by 35%. As Trump would say himself, that's huge. It's huge. Let me tell you, New York's going to be great. We love the people of New York. It's wonderful. It's great. We're going we're gonna to go to New York. We're going to have the best results ever. We're going we're gonna to just have a great time in New York and get lots of delegates. And they're going to be great, too. I don't know how good I'm working on my Trump imitation. I can do other imitations, but uh, I would like to do. I would love to have Hillary Clinton, have Hillary win, so I can have Bill Clinton out in the public eye more, because I can do a much better Bill Clinton imitation than I can do a Trump. But I'm working on the Trump, and if Trump does get into get the nomination, which I, it's possible. I mean, it's, he is going to absolutely have more delegates than anybody else going into the convention. However, he does not, it's not a guarantee that he is going to have enough to win on the first ballot going to election. Cause there's some weird, weird things going on in the Republican primary. Like, um, they say that there are no superdelegates of the Republican Party, but the thing is, is that you can win the popular vote in Pennsylvania, and a lot of those delegates are still going to be up for, you know, they're going to be unbound, technically, uh, because of, according to ABC News, because of Pennsylvania's unusual delegate allocation process. What will carry more weight is the delegates who voters select to represent their district at the convention. Uh, they're basically they're waging shadow campaigns. This is what I said a while about, uh, back about the delegates and what's going on here um, in the Republican Party. How are you going to have a lot of default superdelegates, especially after the first ballot? But these people, um, they cast, in addition to casting a vote to their presidential candidate of choice, 
The voters will get to also select three delegates to represent them at the convention. The 54 delegates selected on Tuesday are unbound, meaning they are free to vote for the candidate of their choosing, regardless of the outcome of the state's popular vote. 17 other delegates are bound on the first ballot ballot to vote for the candidate who wins. So basically, Trump wants to get all of those people, all of those 54 delegates, or as many as possible, or every one of those people wanted to get those 54 delegates, you know, to, to be his supporters. But how the voters vote doesn't impact that at all. So it's just weird. It's just a weird situation. So basically, you wind up having super delegates that they're basically voting for super delegates. So maybe they're they're going to campaign one way, but then it turns out, you know, what could be weird is, you know, you have a situation where you have a delegate who is in a very heavily Ted Cruz district who says he's for Ted Cruz, but in secret he's for Donald Trump or vice versa. You can have that happen. It's, it's, it's silliness. There are some silly shenanigans that are going on and just you wait. Cause I did the math currently for the Democrat race. Let me let me do the math real quick for the Republicans. Republican race, um, you need 1,237 votes to win. Donald Trump has 845, meaning he has 392 um, delegates to get. Now, there might be one more in New York. So 392 divided by 733, which are the amount of delegates that are still available – equals 53.4785 or 53.5%. So or you know let's just say he gets 54%. Donald Trump needs to get 54% of the remaining delegates in order for him to to get the nomination on the first ballot without having to worry about a challenged or an open or a contested, I guess that's the the word I'm looking for, a contested election. Is it possible? Sure. I mean, with 64% of the vote, um, with 64% of the vote, with 60.4% of the vote, Donald Trump managed to get at least the 94% of the delegates in New York, which is huge, huge. And you have states like New Jersey, you have states like Pennsylvania, where if he can pull it off, he can pull it off and you know, I don't know if you'll be able to get the delegates from Pennsylvania, but you won't know what they are. You're not going to know who these people are voting for until the, the convention comes. So the only people you can count on are those 17. So you have a lot of other states which have, you know, primaries coming up. Um, Connecticut 28, Delaware 16, Maryland 38, Pennsylvania 17, Rhode Island 19. I mean, that's not a lot right there, but it's you know it's still you know ticking away chunk and chunk and chunk. 57 in Indiana, Washington 44. Obviously the big ones coming up. But California that has 172, New Jersey 51. Um, so you're going to have these elections that are coming up, and you're going to have to Donald Trump is going to have to get 54% of the vote if he's going to want to if he's going to want to be able to win without a shadow of a doubt in that first ballot. So. We have, um, what was I, I was going to say something else for, before I got to that. Um, 
Yeah, so Cruz, on the other hand, let's, let's just look at Cruz, what Cruz has available. Um, 12.37 needed. He currently has 559. He won zero. He has 700. He needs 678 divided by 733. Cruz needs to get 93% of the remaining delegates. It's not going to happen. So there is no – and, and Kasich is not – is mathematically eliminated from getting the first ballot. But we all know Kasich knows that, and we all know that Kasich is going for a brokered convention. Cruz wants a brokered convention, obviously, because there's no path. There's no real path for him to get there. It's just not going to happen. It is. It is mathematically improbable. I think it's. It probably is more probable that I will get. You know. I'm not making up the there. That's, <laughs> uh, I'm going to win the Powerball three days in a row. That might be more possible than uh, Cruz actually getting it on the first ballot. Let's just, let's just go that way and not go the dirty route, which I was going to go for, and I'm just choosing not to. Um, so on the Democratic side, let's, let's talk numbers first. So, so we go to the Democratic side. Um, Hillary Clinton has, and let's just look at what their pledged delegate counts are. Um, pledged delegates, Hillary Clinton has 1428. So, I don't know, it's kind of hard. I don't, I don't know if Google's reporting this. You know, this is, there's 1,646 still available. I don't know if that includes superdelegates or not. It may. Um, if it does, it kind of messes with this messes with this a little bit. But let's just look at Bern, what Bernie Sanders would have to do. Bernie Sanders has, you know, you need 2383 to win nomination. Bernie Sanders has 1151 in pledged delegates, meaning 1232 is the remaining delegates that he has to have get. 1232 divided by the remaining 1646. Means Bernie Sanders would have to get 75% of the remaining delegates in order for him to win. And now, if you count pledged delegates that he does have, he has 1189, um, 2383. Let me clear that up again because I have fat fingers. Minus 1189 divided by 1646 remaining only 72.5%. So still needs 73% of the remaining delegates to go his way. Plus he has, there's the potential or maybe he could win over um, every super. So let's just say that Clinton's superdelegates are in play. So you have 1646 plus 502. That's 2148 still available. Okay. So you have 20, 21 elements still available. You have, he has 2383 minus 1189. So he needs 1194, 1194 divided by 2148. He still has to get 55% of the remaining delegates, including the pledge delegates. So he has a very difficult road ahead of him in order to get 
the nomination. Hillary, on the other hand, um, ignoring the pledge delegates that she has, let's just include the pledge. Let, let's just include the pledge delegates she has. She has there's 2383 needed to win, including her currently pledged delegates 1930. She needs 453 to win, divided by the 1646 that's still available. She only needs 27.5% of the delegates that are remaining if you count her superdelegates to win. If she just wanted to get there using her pledged delegates, um, it would be 2383 minus 14.2 uh, 1428. So she needs 955 divided by 1646, which equals 58%. So you need 58% of the remaining ones if you don't count the pledged delegates. That and only you're looking at what's remaining and not counting her superdelegates. So, actually, 2383 minus 1930. Yeah, I don't know. So, anyway, so she obviously has a much easier path in. And nobody, it's, I'm not saying anything new with that comment. Obviously, she has a much easier path. She is the front runner. She's been the front runner the entire time. And every time she wins the state, she makes it that much more, that much harder for Bernie Sanders to, to find a path to victory here. And I don't think, and I don't think it's going to happen. And there's some very good reasons why I don't think it's going to happen. But let's go ahead and take the uh, middle commercial break. And when we come back, I will be discussing uh, why Bernie Sanders is going to have, he's not going to get many, if any, of those 502 superdelegates that Hillary Clinton has, or any other superdelegates that are remaining out there that are on one. Um, and he's going to have a very hard time convincing me to do so, and he's, I don't think he's going to get the election, the nomination. Um, and I'll explain why when I come back. 347-838-8368. Very code 347-838-8368. It's Liberal Band Radio. Talk to the left, that's right. Listening to Win Workers Independent News, a production of Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. It was really us sticking together and just, you know, showing our solidarity to the company and to each other. So we all had each other's backs when it came down to it. And uh, it's pretty rare in America for a bunch of temporary workers to unionize. So I feel like this was something special, and I hope that it inspires other workers. Gabe Luchowski talking about the amazing union victory of hundreds of temp workers at Detroit Chassis. Luchowski says 100% of the workers there signed union cards and presented a demand for UAW recognition to the company. When the company refused to accept the demand letter, 100% of the workers voted to authorize a strike. Luchowski says workers learned of their victory on the union recognition after they held a strike solidarity rally on Monday. The plan was to hold a rally on 
on Monday morning at 5 a.m. before first shift started work as just kind of another show of solidarity to send a message to the company. And we had a great turnout at that rally. We had current Ford employees show up. We had retirees of the UAW show up. There's a a building just across the way from us that is a union building, and so they came and showed their support as well. Late Monday after our rally, the UAW came to us and informed us that the company had recognized our union and that we would start the bargaining process soon and that we would become permanent full-time employees of Detroit Chassis. Misclassified drivers at a Chinese-owned subsidiary went on strike Wednesday at the Port of Los Angeles, Long Beach. It's the third time these drivers have went on strike protesting misclassification and related retaliation at Intermodal Bridge Transport. It's a subsidiary of Chinese-owned Costco Logistics Americas, the biggest customer of the ports. The drivers are alleging misclassification as independent contractors when they in fact function as employees. The drivers have filed lawsuits over misclassification and wage theft. They haul goods for companies like Michael Kors, Sony, Toyota, General Electric, and Target. UPS pilots have opened a strike operations center to serve as the union pilot's nerve center in the event of a strike. The Independent Pilots Association says that after five years of bargaining, including two years of intensive federal mediation, it's crunch time for pilots at UPS. The pilots and UPS will present final bargaining positions the week of April 25th. If an impasse is declared under the Railway Labor Act, the UPS pilots would be cleared for a possible strike after a cooling-off period. The IPA says that Louisville, Kentucky Strike Center is a strategic tool for the union as it prepares to strike if necessary. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. And welcome back to Liberal Band Radio. Talk to the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman from New Orleans, Louisiana. To call the show at 347-838-8368. That is area code 347-838-8368. You can also join us in the chat room, Skype it, or if you're listening after the live broadcast, you can always leave your comments, questions, concerns um, at liberaldan.com on the show thread. Before I talk about one kind of live read commercial, if you want to call it a live read commercial, um, that I want to throw in there. I haven't added it to my commercial mix yet, but I have discussed about the fact how I am a, an Uber and a Lyft driver, and I do have, you know, promo codes to give out uh, for people in select cities, uh, and you can see which cities are participating in. Um, but you can go, you know, if you use one of my referral cards, you can get, I think with Lyft, it's $50 worth of credits over multiple rides. With Uber, it might be up to $15 in a ride credit. Again, cities, terms may change and may vary and participation may vary. But bottom line is that you have, it's, sometimes it gets difficult because, you know, if I give a card and, I, and I'm making business cards uh, with my codes on them to hand out, but it, sometimes it gets difficult to you know, maybe you mess it up. Maybe you don't type it in right. Maybe like you're like me and you have fat fingers and you type in a typo. And you put those codes in, you put you miss a character, you get it wrong, it goes away and you don't get the benefit of the referral and you don't get the benefit of the free ride that were given to you because of the code. So I made things very easy on everybody. 
Um, I went ahead and registered the, registered the domain. Just, you know, I'm liberal, Dan. Well, now I have the domain Rideshare Dan. So you go to RideshareDan.com. It will bring you right to my personal website, right to a specific page that has a clickable image for Lyft and a clickable image for Uber. And, you, and it'll send you right to those pages. The referral pages, you don't have to worry about fat fingering or typing anything in at all, and you will get your codes. You can get both codes. You can download the app. You put in your information right then and there. And it's, as my sons like to say, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I don't know why my sons have gotten into saying that. The only time I've heard that term was while watching Austin Powers. Uh, <laughs> they... I've both heard it in whatever TV shows that they like to watch or YouTube videos that they watch. And, well, I've, it has become easy peasy lemon squeezy for you to uh, get your rideshare code from me accurately and correctly. Just go to rideshareDan.com and get your codes. And one thing that will help was, you know, it will help me make a little extra money. It will help you get a cheaper ride using Uber or Lyft. And at the end of the day, you know, you know, we both win. So there you go. Anyway, so yesterday again, New York primary. Um, you know, concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Um, there's nothing you can't do unless you're Bernie Sanders and you're trying to win. <gasps> Too soon. Um, let's just talk about. Okay, you had obviously something that had. Remember back in Arizona, uh, you had some disenfranchisement going on. People were removed from voter rolls. It was a Republican who did it. Um, she made this decision, and people flipped out. And she made the decision to lower the to bar access or to or to make make people have to wait on long lines by reducing them or polling places in uh, one of the most liberal counties that was out there. And people were needing to get the vote. And people were saying, "Oh, the fix is in. It's." You know, this is all because of Hillary. Well, A, it was a Republican that did it. I, don't, I think the Republicans would rather run against Bernie Sanders than Hillary. I mean, I'll get to that in a little bit. There's another reason above and beyond them being able to yell socialist over and over again. You know, I think a lot of people would think that they want to run against Bernie despite whatever the poll numbers say because they want to be able to, they would love to be able to run on that. Oh, he's a socialist. They love playing that socialist card. They'll get out their base. Maybe even more than it'll get at their base against Hillary. Maybe. I don't know for certain, but maybe. But turns out, you know, they have DNC must have no the DNC is suing them in order to over the problem because the DNC doesn't want these long lines in the fall. They so and the Republicans showed their cards a little too early. Now I don't know if it was a Republican that did it in the Bronx. But there were a lot of voters that were purged in the Bronx, and a lot of people were claiming disenfranchisement. Now, in my opinion, there are three different types of, dis, of, of voter roll removals that can happen, um, or at least categories of removals from the voter rolls that can happen. One of them are legitimate. If you move out of the district, Simple as that. If you move from one district to another district, you are now should now be registered to vote in that other district. You should not be voting in this district. Fine. 
That's a good reason to remove somebody from the voter list. B, absolutely illegitimate removals, things that are either done by human error or by human choice or computer error. Those are obviously voter examples of voter disenfranchisement. Those are things that should be fixed. And those people either remove from the list altogether or you're, you're removed from the party, you should be able to do a provisional ballot and, and say and have your voice heard. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. Then there's the questionable category where it may be legal, but I question whether or not it's right. Examples. People who have not voted for long enough. Now, if somebody hasn't voted long enough because they died, well, that's another reasonable reason to take someone off a voting list. But if you just decided to sit out the last however many elections, to me, that is not a good enough reason to remove somebody from the voter list. That is a reason, you know, that the government list, well, you know, it's just playing and say they could always re-register. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't think that's legitimate. I don't think that failure to vote should cause you to be disenfranchised. It's as simple as that. Especially when there's no, you're not set certified. This, this is the kind of thing that happened in 2000 in Florida, where people were removed from the lists, but were never really adequately notified that they're removed from the list. So when they show up to vote, they're all, oh, you're not registered. And the reason they're removed from the voting list was because their names matched somebody's kind of. Again, that, that is more than just quite that that should not be legal at all. But it, it is, but it shouldn't be. That should be unconstitutional. But even if the state has a, a uniform rule that pulls everybody up if they've been inactive for a certain amount of elections or years or whatever the metric is, I still don't agree with it. I don't think that that's legal or that should be legal, but it is. But I find those questionable. Anyway. So people questioned complaining about the about the inability of the people to cast a ballot who should have been Democrats and legitimately considered Democrats for this election. I understand. Now, people are going from that though and are still trying to say, Oh, somebody posted on my, on his Facebook page that I'm friends with. The fix is in. What fix? Who does this help? Is it well obviously Hillary? Why? Because Bernie's from Brooklyn, and it was, the votes were taken from Brooklyn. That doesn't make any sense. I was born in Wilmington, Delaware. If I go run for office, run for president, um, and I don't do well in Wilmington because I'm running up against, let's say I ran against Joe Biden. He wasn't born in Wilmington. He was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. But he represents, he represented Delaware in the Senate for a very long time, and now he's vice president. So and a lot of people love him in Delaware. So the idea that I was born there doesn't mean a hill of beans. Or they'll say he had a huge, he had 5,000, 20,000 people show up. However many, people, I don't know what the attendance was, but it was large. It was good. It was good for him. Large attendance. Amazing attendance. It's great that he's able to get that many people out. But that's the, Brooklyn is not the only it's the Bronx, Manhattan, Queens, Staten Island. You telling me that the people, the twenty thousand or whatever many people showed up for Bernie, that Bernie Sanders rally, were all from Brooklyn? 
None of them came from the other four boroughs. None of them came from Long Island. None of them came from Jersey. Sorry, <laughs> the voices. None of them came from any of the other places. Just this one county. Just this one borough. Just Kings County. It's ridiculous. There is no evidence whatsoever that pulling this many voters out of the election helped or harmed any of these people running, either Sanders or Clinton, any more or less than the other one. Is it possible that maybe Bernie could have won had all those people not been pulled from the rows and had they shown up? Because I don't know how many people showed up who were not allowed to vote in that area, too. That's another question um, that I'm sure that doesn't have an answer at the moment. So, so you don't even know if they would have shown up, and you don't know how they would have voted. So the idea that this fixes in for Hillary is just ridiculous. There's no evidence to show that this was something. And even you know, the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, he supports Hillary, and he was upset over the disenfranchisement of voters. You would think that if this was some big conspiracy by Hillary and her backers, that he would kind of be like, oh, they were legitimate. There was good reasons why those people were doing No, this is, he disagrees with it completely. So the idea that, again, that this is disenfranchisement is ridiculous. However, Bernie Sanders, I should have gotten this clip too, but I didn't get this clip because I was more interested in getting the other clip. Bernie Sanders also said last night, that he felt it was disenfranchisement that independent voters couldn't vote in the primary because the primaries are closed primaries. This is when I started getting annoyed last night when I saw this. This is what I started getting annoyed at. I've been annoyed at a lot of the Sanders supporters, not most, not all, but some. Some have been really annoying at the arguments that they've been making. Like another one, I'll come back to that in a second. Another one that, that came up this morning, people all over from different areas of, of my Facebook life were sharing, who were Bernie Sanders supporters, were sharing this map of New York showing that Bernie Sanders won all of these counties. But if you remember, Sean Hannity back in the day and other conservatives used to pull up this map showing how the counties vote, showing this large amount of red that permeates the nation, hoping people would fall for his crap. Why is it crap? Because the way the map was, it didn't take into consideration two things. It was just solid red and solid blue. Solid red for Republican counties, solid blue for Democratic counties. It did not take into consideration population density. Population density would make, you know, those, and there are maps that show population density and take that into consideration where, you know, cities like Houston and Los Angeles and New York are blown up really big compared to their very small neighbors. They didn't do that. They treated one acre of land in the, in, in the rural areas as being the same as an acre of land in the Manhattan or the Bronx, or Brooklyn, or other high-density areas. Anybody with two brain cells should be able to put that together and say, this is not a legitimate criticism or, or, or commentary on how, on how 
watch conservatism permeates America. And the same can be said for the map showing that Bernie Sanders won the 12 count or many of the 12 counties north of Westchester. I looked it all up. That's how I know. I mean, I'm not that familiar with New York topography. <laughs> so, but there are 12 districts that are north of Westchester. Uh, Sanders won a bunch of them, but their population density is very teeny tiny. And I could make the same argument that the Sanders were trying to Sanders campaigns were Oh, those are the conservative districts too. Why is he winning conservative districts? He's not going to win them in the fall. Again, also another ridiculous argument to make. But then the other, you know, there's another 12 that are basically right around New York City. So you have all those 12 that are in the north of, of above Westchester, above the, I guess if you want to call it the neck. I don't know if they have a particular name for it. And in Game of Thrones, they might call it the neck. But um, and then you have. I got another 12 districts that are like in the very little itty bitty little tiny area of, of that, of all of those counties that touch the five boroughs of New York city. And then you have like five, and then you have one that's Westchester and then the rest of them are Long Island. So people are sharing this as, Oh look, Bernie really won New York. No, he didn't. This is this, they're trying to make something out of nothing. And, and look, you want to be happy about your candidate? That's fine. You could be happy in a loss. You can say, look, Bernie Sanders was polling single digits at the beginning of this election, and now he has larger polling numbers, and he's doing well in winning states, and he got 42% in New York, which a year ago – probably nobody would have thought that would have ever happened. But it did. So if they could put their arms around that and be happy about that. So anyway, but back to the but it, but these are the these these are more more Bernie Sanders supporter comments that bother me. But Bernie Sanders himself said that the independent voters not being able to vote in this election was disenfranchisement. And uh, just frustrated me on the belief. Why should, when I, I registered no party in Louisiana, leaving the Louisiana Democratic Party because the Louisiana Democratic Party in Edwin Edwards, the unrepentant convicted felon Edwin Edwards, who went to jail for felonies based off of fraud and abuse of the system used as his time as governor. I could not believe that they endorsed him, and they did, so I left the party. And I did so knowing that I would not be able to vote in the Louisiana Democratic primary for president when that time came, if I chose to remain registered as an independent voter, which I am, or a non-party voter, which I currently am. So people who are independent should know. Now, there are states that allow for same-day registration and same-day party switches or day of, and if that's the rules and laws of your state that you have to operate in, fine. If that's the rules that your state party wants to operate under, fine. The party should be free to choose. If they want independence of voting in their primary process or not. Personally, I don't see why they should. 
you're a member of the you, you want to vote as a Democrat, become a member of the Democratic Party, and be a member of the Democratic Party for the requisite term uh, beforehand. Does this prove that you're going to be a loyal Democrat? No. Does it prove that you're not doing it just to be? No, but you should still be required to do it. You know, and New York has a long time where you have you, you have to be like, what, I think six months ago is when you had to be registered as a Democrat in time. But too bad. That's the rules. And the Democratic Party should be able to, New York State should be able to make the rules as to who can be a part of that party and who gets to take part in the voting process. There's so many other aspects. Of, you know, should independents be able to vote on who the Democratic Party chair is, too? It's ridiculous. The Democratic Party is a private organization, and its, its members and only its members should be able to vote on party leadership, and its members and only its members should be able to vote on who the party endorses. And to say otherwise is not disenfranchisement, and to do otherwise is not disenfranchisement. But here's, here's the main thing that I have, the main issue I have with, with Sanders and the campaign is that for the longest time, they were saying that superdelegates should vote with how their states are voting. It's fine for them to say that. And in reality, a lot of times that is what happens. That happened with Barack Obama in 2008. He started winning states. And the superdelegates started falling away from Hillary and started going to President Obama. And that's what happens. But, big but. Now, you know, Jane Sanders, Bernie Sanders' wife, came out and made a comment about how she believed that none of the candidates are going to get the required number of pledge delegates to put them over the top. And as such, the superdelegates are going to win. And that she believes that superdelegates would vote to put Bernie Sanders in. Now, she didn't say only if Bernie Sanders had the delegate lead or not. And I would be assuming, I would be assuming that in that circumstance, if, if they both make it to the convention and nobody has enough delegates to win, uh, pledge delegates to win, that is, that you would be requiring the superdelegates to win, and that, but Hillary Clinton would still have the delegate advantage in pledge delegates. So it's a safe assumption to say that she is then saying that the sand, that, that pledge delegate or superdelegates should go against the people, should go against what the people want, how the, what the, the overall delegate counts are, or what the popular vote is. They should go against all that and instead vote for Bernie. Now, but this, this is just Jane Sanders talking, and while she is his wife, and I'm sure you know, he shares many things with her, um, she's free to give her own opinion uh, and have that opinion count for her being hers and hers alone. And I, while I was a little bit flabbergasted at the idea that someone from the Sanders campaign or someone who was that high up in the Sanders campaign, i.e. his wife, would be saying this, I was, I was a little hesitant in my criticism. But then, after New York happened, MSNBC had Jeff Weaver, who is the 
head of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And Jeff Weaver had this conversation um, with Chris Kornacki. Let me ask you this, though. Is this a fair statement? The popular vote and the pledge delegate count. If you are not leading at least one of those counts when June 7th finishes up and we finish this primary process, you don't have a claim to get those superdelegates to flip their side. No, are you still going to try to flip superdelegates if you're not winning one of them? I don't think that that's the case. Look, we're going to go to the convention. It is extremely unlikely that either candidate will have the requisite number of pledge delegates to get to this number, right? So it is going to be an election, an election determined by the superdelegates. And superdelegates are largely elected officials, Party, who, who are party actually, they're overwhelmingly right now with Hillary Clinton. So Clinton. The question Clinton. is, if you guys can't come to them and say, we won the pledge delegate count, you have to honor the will of the people. If you can't come to them and say, we won the popular vote, you have to honor the will of the people. If these superdelegates already want to be with Hillary Clinton, and they can say, hey, she won the popular vote, hey, she won the pledge delegate vote, how can you flip them after the primaries? Well, because they're going to want to win in November. And if the polling continues to show that Bernie Sanders is a much stronger a candidate in the general election, and that's for a few reasons, right? He brings a lot of young people into the process who, who might uh, otherwise participate. He is extremely popular with independent voters. If you look at uh, when you have open caucuses and open primaries, he wins independents 65-35, 70-30. And in, in November, you know, only about a quarter of the population is Democrats. If you can't co create a coalition with independent voters, you can't win the White House, you can't win the Senate, you can't bring in additional people into the House. So this is what has to be built in November. It has to be Democrats along with independents to defeat the Republicans. And Bernie Sanders is the candidate who Because you, you know as well as I do, if June 7th comes and goes and Hillary Clinton has won the pledge delegate count in the primaries and she's won the popular vote, there are going to be calls from her campaign and calls from a lot of influential delegates in this country for you, the Sanders campaign, to make a decision to unite around her. You're saying instead of that, you will spend those months, those weeks in the summer trying to flip superdelegates to Bernie Sanders before the convention. At, at this point, yes, absolutely. Okay. Jeff Weaver, campaign manager for Bernie Sanders. Thanks for the time. Thanks. Appreciate Glad it. Glad to be here. Thanks. Back to you guys. That was remarkable. Jeff Weaver, it's really it's a kindness of you to be here to walk us through that, sir. Thank you for being here. Happy Thanks to do for it. stopping by. Thanks to Steve Kornacki as well. Uh now, if you were watching that live, I mean, I was I was kind of out of the room doing like doing laundry when this was on TV. I was like doing putting stuff into I heard what he said. I came back in the room. Thank goodness for DVRs because I rewound it and I was like, did he really just say what I think he just said? And he did. And the the look on the faces of like Rachel Maddow, Brian Williams, they kind of looked over at him like did he really just say what he just said? This is a, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, that, that is a huge, huge, as Trump would say, huge, it was a huge statement to happen on the show. Because you now have the head of the campaign, other than Sanders, admitting that the Bernie Sanders campaign has officially flip-flopped on what superdelegates should do. They have now officially gone from superdelegates should vote with the people to superdelegates should vote uh, to, to protect the party, to make sure that the party wins in November, regardless of who the individual people want. Now, I'm sure Sanders supporters will probably say something about, well, Hillary does it too. But Hillary hasn't been saying this the entire time. Hillary Clinton has used the system and, and, and went after the pledge delegates or the, or the super delegates 
early on and try to shore them up and try to make it, make it so that she would have an easier time to win. She understood. She didn't reject the use of superdelegates. But, but they said, we are going to go to the convention. So regardless, they, they don't feel, now the math doesn't necessarily work in Hillary's favor. I mean, she needs a little bit of help. Not, she needs to have better wins. But especially if you're not counting superdelegates. They, they basically, if Hillary Clinton's stated pledge delegate total and her stated superdelegate total are over the required amount to win, they're still going to go to convention as long as the pledge delegate total does not exceed the required amount to win. Which is, again, when I, when my jaw dropped when he said it. They're saying that young people and independent voters who would come out in these open primary states, they will support him and not support her. Well, why? I think it's a, I, I, while the Bernie or Bust people represent a real problem in this election because they risk handing this country completely over to the Republicans, I think most young people, most independent voters who would otherwise support Bernie are smarter than that. Even Bernie Sanders, even though there's been the problems, you know, and, and, and tough rhetoric coming from Sanders in these past weeks, Sanders has still said that Hillary Clinton on her worst day is 100% better than any of these other Republicans. So, so the, 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 the sheer hypocrisy of this just amazes me. Because one of the things that I think a lot of people hold about Bernie Sanders is how much of a non-politician he is, how much of a genuine guy he is. And while we haven't officially heard Bernie Sanders say these things, that he is going to go to the convention and he's going to go fight for the superdelegates and he's going to have the superdelegates vote against the will of the popular vote because polling data shows that he might very well win against whoever the Republican nominee is. The, he hasn't said that, but I mean, you have his wife and his campaign manager saying it. I can't believe that he doesn't think that. And for him to go back on what he said could actually hurt him in the general election because it makes him look like a lot less trustworthy. Now, again, Sanders supporters are going to say that Hillary is not trustworthy at all. At least some of them will, but it, it, it might be a big problem for him in the fall. And there is one more thing that I'm going to get to. I'm going to take the next, the last commercial break. We're going over tonight, folks. I'm going to go give you a little extra liberal day in radio uh, this week. Um, but I'm going to go over why, you know, his this attempt at getting those pledged delegates who are currently pledged to, or those those super delegates, I mean, who are currently pledged to Hillary but can change their mind, why he's not going to get any many of them, if any of them, of those that haven't already come to him. He might get one or two, but he's not going to get a lot. I will explain why when we come back. Three four seven eight three eight eight three six eight. There it goes, 347-838-8368, Little Bane Radio, talk to the left, that's right.
If you need legal representation or advice on issues such as family law, bankruptcy law, DWI, or other civil or criminal matters, you need hands-on legal advice from someone who will treat you as a priority and not just another number. So call the law office of Sherry I. Sandler at 504-528-9500. That's 504-528-9500. Or email sandlerlaw at cox.net. I trust Sherry with my legal needs. So should you. The preceding ad was an unpaid client endorsement. Do you like fun jewelry? Do you wish you could design jewelry that is designed just for you and that tells your story? Well, with Origami Owl, you can do just that. An Origami Owl jewelry bar is a fun way to get together with your friends, hang out, and design jewelry. There is no pressure to buy, but when you host a party, either in person or online, you have the opportunity to get deeply discounted jewelry based on what the friends you invite to the party purchase. If you would be interested in holding a party, either online or in person, go to cassiezcharms.origamiowl.com. That is C-A-S-S-I-E-Z charms.origamiowl.com and contact Cassie today. Welcome back to Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left, that's right. This is your host, Dan Zimmerman, coming from New Orleans, Louisiana. To join the conversation, it's area code 347-838-8368. That's area code 347-838-8368. Now, just with the last advertisement, you know, it's something that my wife does, uh, Origami Owl. Um, it's necklaces with, with lockets that can open and close, and you can add and charms and customize as, as you will. Uh, Mother's Day is coming up soon. It's a great opportunity to get her a gift or even throw her a party, be it in person if you're in the New Orleans area or even online. You can do an online party as well, um, and you can get some great gifts at discounted prices if you're the host. So if you just go to Cassie Z Charms, C-A-S-S-I-Z Charms at OrigamiOwl.com, uh, you can go ahead and you know make an order, or you can contact her as well and find out how to best uh, – hold one of those parties get some really great deals on some of the goods uh, that they have for sale to have to give you a great um mother's day presence that you'll be able to use and customize into the future so anyway so why don't i think bernie sanders is going to win over the superdelegates and it all goes back to they want to win the democratic party wants to win in the fall and while Polling data is a current snapshot of what the state of the race is. If you don't have the money to compete with the money that the Republicans are going to be throwing out there, the polling data could very well change. The Democratic Party is going to want to utilize the rules of the system as it stands, even if their flag bearer, which would be Bernie Sanders if he won the nomination, wanted to not use PACs. From his campaign website, during this campaign cycle, billions of dollars from the wealthiest people in this country are already flooding the political process. Super PACs, a direct outgrowth of Citizens United, are enabling the wealthiest people and the largest corporations in this country to contribute unlimited amounts of money to campaigns. The situation has become so absurd that super PACs, which theoretically operate independently 
have more money and more influence over campaigns than the candidates themselves. We know, for example, that the Koch brothers said the second wealthiest family in America have made public that they and their network intend to spend at least $700 million on politics during this election. That is more money than either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party will spend. Let's be honest and acknowledge what we're talking about. We're talking about a rapid movement in this country towards a political system, which a handful of very wealthy people and special interests, yada, yada, yada. So Bernie Sanders is in his, you know, he makes a pledge of what he would do as president, but he's also raising money and not using PACs. Now, he's shown that he is able to raise a decent amount of money. I mean, I don't think anybody would have guessed that he would be able to raise this amount of money. And he's almost doing a good enough of a job raising money to show people that, you know, well, if somebody makes an argument to Citizens United, if he wins this election and then he, some Citizens United goes above the court, the court may have a problem say, one saying, well, you've won under Citizens United with individual contributions. What's your problem? That's obviously not hurting the process as much as you're saying it was. Bernie Sanders winning has, has a weird effect on that argument. You, the guy who's trying to argue that the little people can't win, if he wins with the little people, disproves his own argument. So, but the DNC is going to look at the potential in the future and seeing how much money is out there, they're not going to want to hobble themselves. They're not going to want to look at the election and say, well, we're, what choice are we going to have? Are we going to limit our, the amount of money that we can raise or spend because our candidate doesn't want to? We don't want to, they're not going to want to send out a different message than their chosen candidate. Their message is going to want to be unified. It's going to be determined at the, at the, at the convention. So the people who are superdelegates, who are part of the Democratic Party establishment, are going to probably say, you know what, we have a better chance of putting out a consistent message while being able to use this money that we would be able to use under, you know, that Hillary is not going to say no to. Does this mean that I think that we should get, not get money out of politics? No, we, we should work on fixing that problem. Citizens United was a horrible ruling. But the DNC and the delegates are not going to allow him are not going to allow him to get, they're not going to, they're not going to, I don't know if allowing him is the right words. The DNC is not going to be very keen on the idea of their superdelegates um, going over to support Bernie, um, regardless of who has the popular vote, the most pledged delegates, because they're not going to want, they're not going to be convinced that he is the one who's most likely to win when he's going to be the one who's going to be less likely to raise the money that they need to raise to compete with the Republicans and the Koch brothers, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the DNC doesn't even need that because the DNC can say, look, he said that the pledge delegates should be used, should be, should go with, or the super delegates should match the pledge delegates. He said that the super delegates should go with the popular vote totals. This is what he said that should, have, should happen. We're, if you want to follow what he says, then that means that 
a majority of the superdelegates should come with the pledge delegates that I've won, and that would put, have enough to put Hillary Clinton over the top. So either you go with the argument of let's just follow what Bernie Sanders said should happen in the first place, Hillary wins, or and or you have people saying Bernie Sanders is going to hobble our ability and prevent us from being able to raise and use the money that we need to be able to raise and use to defeat the Republicans, to be able to try and take back the Senate, to be able to try and maybe take back the House, I doubt that, but maybe, um, and to be able to win the presidency. Why would the superdelegates vote to hinder their ability to raise funds? It doesn't make sense. And that is why, ultimately, Bernie Sanders is not going to be able to win over the superdelegates, and he will go into the convention with both a minority of pledge delegates, and he will lose uh, on the the convention floor if he takes it that way. My only hope is that when that happens, that Sanders takes a tone that is uniting, that says we fought a good fight, um, you know, and maybe work out a deal to where the Democratic Party or Hillary Clinton says, look, I've been pushing for a $12 minimum wage, $12 an hour minimum wage. I'll come up to 15 to bring you along. Or maybe say, um, maybe, maybe have some other compromises on some other issues uh, to where some of the Bernie Sanders platform does get included. Um, to include in the campaign that they're going to not, not only nominate Supreme Court justices who support uh, the individual right to body autonomy, who support rights for LGBT folks and for minorities, but who will also support the overturning of Citizens United, which I believe Hillary Clinton does want to do, even if she's currently using that. It's kind of like, it seems like Hillary Clinton is subscribing to the idea of don't, have, don't hate the player, hate the game, where she's in this game as it stands and she's going to play by the rules while still advocating for. So like, let's say Stephon Curry uh, in the NBA said, I don't think people should be able to take three-point shots. But he's playing a game where people are able to take three-point shots. So he does them, and he does them really well. But you could, you, could probably, you could still sit there and say, look, as long as these are legal, I'm going to take them, but I'm going to advocate against their use and hopefully get them removed. And I'm not saying that's happening. I'm just saying that's an example. <clears throat> he wouldn't have regretted Stephon Curry from taking three-pointers, even if he disagreed with their use in the game, because they're part of the game. Same thing applies for money and politics. He wouldn't necessarily begrudge somebody – for using part of the existing system while saying that they're going to eliminate it. Other people disagree with that standpoint, and I understand it. Um, I was more on that side before. Uh, Somebody made a pretty compelling argument to me um, that changed my mind somewhat on the issue, so I can see the argument of the don't hate the player, hate the game argument is potentially a reasonable one. Um, But it's – I think, again, we're going to be – as a party, and I hope at the end of the day we unite. Because as Hillary said, there is more that unites us than divides us. And at the end of the day, I think that will bring enough people together so that we could at least retain the presidency, if not um, the Senate. Um, I'm I'm not hopeful about the House just because there's just far too much gerrymandering. But Bernie Sanders, at the end of the day, he is not going to be able to convince the superdelegates because they're going to either look at his past words and say, well, we're just doing what you said we could do at the beginning of your campaign, or they're going to be able to say, 
we're looking at, you know, the money that you would prohibit us from using as the party leader. And we're going to say, no, we need to be able to raise more money than that if we're going to beat the Republicans. Furthermore, there's a final thing that they could say is, like, look, you've been pretty strong about these superdelegates and you've been pretty strong about money. You've now flip-flops completely on, on one, on the superdelegates. Now, if you flip-flops on the money, if he says, okay, the Democratic Party can use these funds, then not all, I think he'll see defections from his supporters. They'll become, dis, they'll become disillusioned with him. And, the, and whoever the Republican nominee is will attack him for saying, look, for all these months, he said we need to get money in politics, but now he's taking advantage of it. Now he's using that money he says we should get out of. Again, I would argue, don't hate, don't hate the player, hate the game, but they're going to use that against him, and some people will buy it. So just something else you have to keep in mind. So anyway, that is my opinion on why uh, Sanders is ultimately not going to get win over the superdelegates. If he does and he wins, I will happily support him. I will contribute to his campaign. I will um, talk about him and promote him on the show because there are a lot of things he stands for that I do like. And he's obviously many, many times better than any of the Republican candidates who are running or who could be picked at a brokered convention. And the same thing goes for Hillary. I'll vote for her. I'll give money to her. I will talk about her and promote her on issues that she supports that I support on this show as well. I will do that because she is many, many, many times more better, more better, good English, than either of the, any of the Republican candidates that are left or any of the Republicans that could be selected out of a brokered convention. So that's the end of this week's show. I will be back. Uh, next week, 8 p.m. Central on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, join in. You can go follow me at liberaldan.com, facebook.com slash liberaldan, or at liberaldanradio on Twitter. Until next week, this is Dan Zimmerman with Liberal Dan Radio. Talk from the left. That's right.